Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Uh, This is our inaugural version of the podcast um, with video accompanying the podcast. So very excited uh, to welcome Sally and Ian, my co-hosts on the show, to the show today. Um, Because you may not be aware, but today actually marks the one-year anniversary of the Varsity Blues scandal that hit the airwaves literally exactly one year ago today. Um, I got an email from someone who said, did you see what happened with Felicity Huffman? And essentially, my world exploded for at least the next couple of weeks. Um, We have a good show for you today. Uh, Sally, Ian, and I are going to talk about life post-Varsity Blues. uh, And then a little later in the show, we're going to talk about expected family contributions. So... um, We'd love for you guys to stick around. Um, My first question that I'm going to toss to the group, and I'm going to add my thoughts immediately and then toss it to the group, is what has changed since? So so actually, let me back up. For those listeners who maybe are not based in the United States, don't watch television, don't read the papers, live under a rock, somehow not aware... Um, Last year, on this day, a number of parents were indicted along with a bad actor by the name of Rick Singer, Um, and they were essentially doing things like paying to have tutors change their kids' uh, test answers, I believe in some cases possibly even taking the test for their kids. They were pretending that their kids were playing sports that they weren't actually playing. And the coaches at some universities were actually then accepting them in exchange for um, money payments. So I could tell you that one major thing has changed since Varsity Blues, and that is that a lot of really rich people who never thought they would ever see the inside of a jail cell are now going to jail. (laughs) So there is that. And if I could think of a Uh list of things, stupid things that people have done in this world that would result in ending up in jail, this has to be close to the top of the list. But Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about what I think people really want to hear about, which is, you know, what what has changed? So, um, Ian, when we talked about this the other day, one of the things that came up were there are have been we've seen some policy changes. What What do we know about that? Yeah, so one of the one of the ones that I think we were wondering about was, you know, in our experience in college admission, I think that we never really did any fact checking. I, I, at least at Reed, where I worked, and and I think probably the same. You're both nodding, so I can see you today. So I can see that that's the same for you. Um, and so we would only really look into something if there was a really major discrepancy between a component of the application that the student had produced and something that was coming from some other party, like a counselor or a teacher. Um, so, you know, you sign it, the application and says everything here is true and factual, and that's part of the application process. And I think that at the very least, what this scandal has triggered in, especially some highly selective schools 
is you can't always take that for granted as being true when a student signs that information, uh, signs that application. And so a few colleges have actually started to engage in the process of spot checking or have said that they will engage in the process of spot checking. Yes. I don't know that it's necessarily true that they are doing so. And spot checks, of course, are not universal, right? So they're not looking into the reality of 40,000 applications and whether every piece of information there is true or not. But they are saying that we're going to verify some of this stuff, especially the stuff that is especially um, notable, the things that are the features of a student's application if they don't necessarily fit with the other the other components. Um, and I, I think that that's something that, that kind of makes sense. I, I don't know. What do you think, Sally? Is that something that you feel like admission officers are excited about doing, interested in doing, that it's something that you wish had been done when you were reading applications, or is it just a necessary part of the process at this point? I think, unfortunately, it's a necessary part of the process. And I will say that it started, actually, I know that when I was a high school counselor at the Archer School for Girls, which was a while ago now, UC Berkeley, um, well, the UCs in general had announced that they were going to start doing spot checks. And a couple of my students did get, not because they'd done anything wrong, but they just got the spot check. So they come into me very panicked. And I said, well, you didn't lie on your application, so there's <laughs> nothing to worry about. And they didn't. And so they were fine. Um, so I do just want to make the point that that it had happened um, already and kind of maybe not as broadly. I, I'm dismayed that it has to happen, but I do feel like it does um, and I will say that sometimes I even hear people saying to me, well, how can they tell if if I exaggerate? And then I'll sort sure. of go through how that can create some red flags. And I personally do want to emphasize that those red flags can come up. Like, you know, a student says that they won a writing award or their essay quotes Proust. This is an example I've used quite a bit. And the student is a B student in college prep English. Her thing is science. Uh, that's the kind of thing that I can tell immediately is a problem. Yeah. There's some right. exaggeration going on here. So um, so I do want to say that it's, it's at least for me, you at least at Chicago, we did kind of start to notice like, this looks a little off. I'm a little suspicious of this. And this right. isn't reflecting well on the student. So I do kind of want to put out that it's not always just the major red flags. It can be smaller red flags that can kind of come to your attention because they don't make sense as part of the whole picture. Right. And, and we're going to spend um, actually a whole segment today talking about that because I think that speaks exactly to questions of authenticity. Mm -hmm. But Ian, you mentioned something where you said, do we think that's actually happening? And I think <laughs> that's a really good question because- sure. We know that at least, so Varsity Blues happened in March of last year. Um, the admission cycle started up again. Well, the admission cycle is sort of always going on. However, for the kinds of schools that were implicated in this, which were generally those highly selective institutions, right. um, they were, you know, they were in the middle of um, kind of sending out acceptances at that point, right? right? Acceptance letters are typically coming in starting in March. And usually for the more selective, the closer you're getting to the end of March before you get your answer. So they're smack in the middle of their decision-making process. And then you go into yield process where you are welcoming accepted students to campus and you're going out and you're doing some more travel. And then you're spending your summer 
kind of gearing up and getting ready for the coming year. Yes, there was time for them to implement new practices. The question is, was there budget to hire anybody new to help with this um, information? I personally, not, not that I work with an extraordinary number of students every year, but none of my students were spot checked. I don't yeah. know if any of your students were spot checked. No. Um, so that makes me wonder, Again, we are a sample size of three, and we each had, you know, not huge caseloads of students. So I wouldn't want to say that we are representative of what happened to everybody. But the fact that not one of our kids got a spot check makes me wonder, is it happening? Could it be that actually when they started the budgeting process for this coming year, that now they are building in money for that? Will we see increases in oversight in the coming years I don't know. What I do know is that large institutions, um, educational institutions, tend to be pretty slow to change. So I do right. wonder. That's true. You know what but, we're gonna yeah. say. I mean, it sounds a lot like it. You know, I tell my kids, "You better be asleep. I'm gonna come down and and check on you in 15 minutes." I don't actually do that, but I tell <laughs> right? them that I'm going to, because I want them to to expect that that's going to happen. And I think that they're. I wouldn't be surprised if they were actually doing some spot checks for students um, just as a part of their process. But I imagine that it's very small. And the goal is is like me telling my kids that I'm going to come check in on them. You you better make sure that everything here is is true and accurate. Um, right. One thing one thing I would say, too, is that even if the kid doesn't know they're doing spot checks, they might be calling the counselor. That's and again, as someone lot, who was a counselor, yeah. I mean, I had long conversations with colleges. I did work at a small prep school. I had a very manageable caseload compared to what a public school person, um, you know, counselor might have. But uh, some of the students who were cheating were at Sage Hill School in Orange County. They had a small caseload too. So if the colleges had called that counselor, mm -hmm. they probably they would have found out the truth because there was no evidence that the counselors at Sage Hill had participated in the fraud. So right. That's right. I, I wanted to ask you, because both of you have been uh, leaders in different admission offices and obviously leaders here with College Coach. Uh, what are some things that you might do if you had worked in a leadership position at a university where this scandal had implicated some part of the institution? Would you have instituted spot checks? Would there have been something that you would change in terms of, of the practice uh, is there anything that you can do as an admission office, or do you just hope that everybody is on the level? I think that I would have, I mean, again, it. this isn't possible at every high school, but I think when I was at University of Chicago and I talked to various counselors, I would have started verifying with them the activities that were on the list and definitely yeah. started verifying the athletic piece. I mean, that... <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty fascinating, like how bad that got, right? So, you know, um, I would definitely have tried to put into into place some sort of a process to make sure that the coaches were on the up and up. Like maybe just even making sure that a student was playing. Yeah. And yeah. if they were playing, um, you know, like were they actually decent? You know, right. like if you advertised a student to me as one of your top recruits and then they're a bench warmer that, you know, which I think was the case at Yale, I want to know about that right. and right. make sure, or, you know, or find out that the student was injured. That's a different, different situation. But that I think I definitely would have put into place, but you're really, it's a valid 
point in that how much time do people really have? Like I say all this, but it would have been challenging. I mean, I would have tried to figure out a way to do it, but I can tell you that even now as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, like exactly when (laughs) when this happened. Yeah, I mean, I think it has to be in the admissions office, it has to be a higher up decision, right? So I actually felt like at Penn, there was a pretty good um, sort of administration built up around athletic recruits and yet not mm-hmm. implicated in the Varsity Blues scandal. However, the one of the former, the former head coach of the basketball team, um, this has seemingly escaped all media notice, but who's currently an assistant for the Boston Celtics, um, took money for going and training a kid. So now in this case situation, the kid actually did play basketball. However, he wasn't very good. And, um, the, but the father had a lot of money and he would come down and he would practice with him and coach him. And he, he even brought other players down and they enjoyed a trip to Miami and they all, you know, played and practiced and, Then the kid was admitted ostensibly as a basketball recruit, never played a game. In in that case, he actually played basketball. So it would be nice if we could slam that door shut, that side door, which is what everyone kept referring to it it as. And it does feel like that would be the easiest one to to close. Um, But I'm, you know, I'm with you, Sally. I've, there, the admissions, and I still love to point out the fact that nobody in admissions has been implicated in Varsity yes. Blues yeah. still, which tells you, I think, should make our listeners feel really good about the ethical nature of the people who do this work. Because right. the reality is that they're underpaid, they're overworked, they easily could have taken money. I have colleagues who were offered money, and nobody did. Right. But but you can't take that on in addition to everything else you're doing. So that would have had to come from the dean or even higher up than the dean. And it had to have funding attached if you're going to do more would be my take on it. I mean, I did have a thought that you could do some of it during the summer, you know, like build it into the summer. And that because that is a slower time. But you're right, Beth. I'm not trying. Believe me, I can't believe now how hard I worked for how little money when I was when I was in Chicago in particular. I mean, working weekends, working. I was like, and I was making how much again? No, no, (laughs) exactly. And and earlier, we when we were talking, we were talking about one thing that has so the process itself hasn't necessarily changed. We know that maybe some schools are doing spot checks, but what about? um, I feel like it's added an interesting dimension to our conversations with students and parents, and I would love to get your perspective on that piece. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what's really Interesting. This is this is an example of the worst actors possible doing the things that are that horrify you in terms of what the process is. Right? They're taking full advantage, committing actual legal fraud uh, in this situation. But I think what it does do is it also helps people to check themselves a little bit in terms of what their approach to the process is going to look like. And the thing that horrifies me the most about this um, is that there's some element of parents creating a smoother path for their kids in a way that their kids actually didn't, in some cases, even know about. Mm -hmm. And there's something about that idea of a parent making a choice that's having long-lasting, lifelong implications for a student without consulting with them that I think is really, really problematic. And 
it's actually been kind of interesting to have this example as language that we can use when we talk to families as like, yeah, you don't want to be like those varsity blues parents. And the other parents will say, oh yeah, definitely not. And it, you can have a little chuckle about that, but there are different levels of that scale. And I think, I think, you know, the best sort of possible change from this is parents starting to say, you know, this really is my kid's process. And I, I want to help to make them, you know, be in the best place to advocate for themselves, to represent who they are. I want to be there to support them. But, but you know, in terms of the parent-student relationship in Varsity Blues, that problem of going around your kid to create an opportunity for them, I think was really, really problematic. Uh, and it's been nice to have that as an example to point to for, for, for families that are doing everything ethically, but maybe still thinking about the right balance between parent and student engagement with the process. Or right. maybe they're not being ethical, but they're not being illegal. Right. That's that's also possible. That's it's I mean, that's a place where I've enjoyed being able to push back and say, what's the message that you're giving to your student that they aren't good enough? Right. That's what's happening. Right. Right. You may not wind up in jail over that. But the the for me, almost the biggest tragedy, I'm sure if you're going to jail, you're seeing that as the biggest tragedy. However, for me, the (laughs) biggest tragedy is what you basically said to your kids is whatever you've been doing clearly was not enough. Whatever you wrote that you thought was great, whatever work you put into preparing for this test, whatever you got yourself involved in outside of the classroom, that was not good enough for me. Now, granted, it's certainly possible that these kids weren't trying, weren't prepping, weren't doing anything outside of the classroom, but that's a whole other issue altogether, right? right? And what you're then saying is, so you haven't done anything but I'm going to make it okay anyway. So yeah. Something I mean, wrong with that. Yeah. the mind boggles <laughs> at the, at the level of things that are not great about that. Right. Um, but I'm going to put a pin in that. We're going to come back and we're going to talk yeah. a little bit more about authenticity. So cool. I'm going to take a quick break. Don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes, Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. The future of online TV is here. 
View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. We are here. It, you have all three of the var- the Varsity Blues. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> of the Getting In podcast hosts with you today talking about Varsity Blues. Yeah. Um, we spent a lot of time talking about kind of what's changed, maybe what has not changed in our first segment. But in the second segment, um, I wanted to get at some key Really, to me, the key piece of what went so awry with Varsity Blues, I mean, one of the things that went so awry, and that is just stepping utterly away from being authentic. And we talk frequently about how important authenticity is in this process. And Sally, when you think about um, authenticity, what does that mean when when we talk to people about you have to be authentic? Mm-hmm. I mean... Just to kind of frame your question, like the way I think about it is when I'm talking to a student, I'm getting to know them. I'm really trying to figure out, I do want them to put their best foot forward, right? So my process is what are what are these sort of um what are the best parts of you? And 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 who are you? Like I really try and spend some time when I'm working with a student, trying to get to know them, getting to know the things they care about, the things that they, you know, not not just their grades right? And their activities, but what do they care about? Why are they doing what they're doing? There's a lot of discussion of the why. And it's really interesting because often with students initially, they say, I don't know, I just like it. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's where we can, we can find out more here. So let's keep talking about it. And I've actually had multiple students come back to me kind of at the end of the process and say, you know what, this was so cool because I didn't even know that this thing I was doing mattered. Mm-hmm. And that other people thought it was a good thing. And and that, to me, is actually as good of a moment or actually better even than hearing about whatever college they got into. Because these are often students who were discounting things about themselves that they should have been really proud of and should have felt really, really good about. And through their conversations with me, they were able to kind of own some of the things that that they did, some of their accomplishments Um, And not even accomplishments, but just their way of sort of looking at the world, the thoughtfulness that they brought to their day to day existence, how they treated their fellow students, you know, their awareness of of their own place in the world. And and uh, and I, I mean, I just think that that's like the best case scenario for this process. And it's also exactly what colleges want. You know, uh, and I feel like that's where you and I and Ian and the rest of us can do a really good job. Like we're not packaging the kid, but we're helping them realize that this thing that they didn't think was important actually matters a lot. And the colleges are going to care about it. Yeah. And just to jump in and Ian, then I want to toss it to you. As you talk, it makes me think about Olivia Jade, Lori Lachlan's daughter, right? What was she doing that was impressive? She had like 
an incredible number of followers on YouTube mm-hmm. and Instagram. Like they could have played up that she was already becoming a star in her own right. And maybe right. she could have used her education at USC to support that. Like the idea that she had nothing to offer. So they had to pretend that she was a coxswain is so silly. Anyway, mm-hmm. Ian, authenticity, what's that mean to you? Well, I, so I had a, I just started working with the younger sibling of a student that I worked with uh, two years ago. And I was talking to this younger sibling about the process in general. And I said, well, what did you learn from your older brother when your brother went through this process? And we talked a little bit about the essay topic. And he said, well, did, didn't he write about the this like community service trip that he went on? Uh, and I said, no, actually, that was his first idea of what right. he wrote about. And we talked about it, and we actually identified that he really loves his youth group and mm-hmm. that he's developed these really meaningful relationships and friendships through the people that he sees every single weekend on Saturday and Sunday, not just for Sunday school, but also for just getting together and being you know, part of a community. Mm-hmm. And the younger brother was like, Oh, that makes total sense that he would write about that. Like that's that's a perfect topic for him. Mm-hmm. And so it was just really awesome in that moment, you know, to have a younger sibling say, "Oh yeah, that's absolutely the right essay." And the instinct for this student, the older student that I worked with was, "I should write about this thing that I think colleges want to read yes. about." Mm-hmm. And one of the great things about our role is we can say they don't want to read about that. They want to read about the thing that you want to share that you're most excited mm-hmm. to represent. And Finding that, and I think getting excited about that topic. I mean, what was great was this older brother, he was stoked when we stumbled on this topic and Mm -hmm. felt like he had permission to write about the thing that was most important to him and the place that he had grown the most. And that was really cool. And we got to see him come alive through that part of the process. So, you know, it's almost this whole scandal has allowed us to give a little bit more permission to kids to be themselves. Like going and creating this false narrative is not you. Let's talk about how you you. Um, that's important, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's it's utterly important. Uh, and I also think that, um, Sally, you shared an article by Bruce Potch, who wrote this back in 2007. He's the former dean of admissions at Pomona. And he was writing about how the importance of how everything in the application comes together to create a picture of this student. And when like the example you gave in the first segment about this student who's a B student in English, who's really focused in science and suddenly reporting about these awards won in English Mm -hmm. and quoting Proust in her essay. These things do not come together. They don't hold together. Mm -hmm. They are not authentic. And so, you know, we have families who will say to me, well, I have families, I won't speak for you guys, but you know, well, We've heard that this, and again, everyone knows how much that drives me bonkers. We've heard, (laughs) stop right there, right? But like (laughs) that it will be easier to get into this college if we select major A over major B. Should we do that? Mm -hmm. And I say, do you think that these are not being plugged into a machine? Everything about you is pointed towards major B. Why would you select major A just because you think that it is less fully subscribed you know, either that's what you want to study B, why you don't go in pretending you want A, they are going to see through that. And, mm-hmm. you know, Sally, I don't know if you have any thoughts around that idea or just any anything related to that kind of oh, game. Oh, I have that. Yeah, I have that conversation with families all the time. And I'll also say, and furthermore, 
then your kid might be stuck in that major. I mean, if it's a school where, you know, you have to go into certain departments. I worked with a student whose mother said, well, you know, she might be able to get into UCLA for dance. So maybe we should have her apply for dance. And I said, well, does she want to dance? Dance at UCLA is pretty serious. Yeah. She's like, no. And I said, well, she's going to have to go there and dance then. Right. I, I didn't. Like, she's never even talked to me about dance in the college process. So, and I, I think like another way that this happens too is, you know, I had a student who, um, she wanted to be a communications major, and her older sister had worked with me, and her, um, her older sister had written a really good essay about anti-Semitism in their town. It was like a town that you would sort of never expect it to happen, and there it was. And she wrote a really kind of beautiful essay about it. And so her father emails me and says, well, maybe she can use her sister's essay. They're not applying to any of, they didn't, you know, she's not applying to any of the same schools. And I said, well, setting aside that that would be wrong, (laughs) um, setting that aside, your daughter wants to go into communications. So don't you think she wants to feel like her writing is good enough? I mean, Mm -hmm. I said it a little more gently than that, but I was so appalled. I mean, going back to what Ian said, like, what message are you sending to your daughter who, frankly, is a good writer? Mm -hmm. I mean, I I just couldn't. And so he wrote back. It was kind of funny. He wrote, your objection is noted. But I will say that she ended up using her own essay. So maybe he heard it. And I kind of imagine that this girl said, absolutely not, dad. So. It's, yes. uh, it's it's interesting. I think that families, even students, can get a little myopic when it comes to the application, and they only really see the components that are directly connected to their process. I got my activities list, I'm writing my essays, and I'm filling out the form. I often forget teacher letters of recommendation and counselor letters of recommendation and the role that those play. You know, internally at College Coach, we're actually working on some case studies right now with a really great team, and and we are creating teacher letters of recommendation to go along with the student identities that we're creating. And it's really interesting because the letters of recommendation have a huge role in how a student comes across. And students never get to really see those letters of recommendation. They're submitted to to colleges. They might have a guess about what's included in there, but they don't get to read them. And so there's a consistency that you see in a really strong application between the way that a teacher and a counselor is talking about a student and how the student is Mm self-presenting. And when you have these situations of trying to angle for a strategic approach or writing an essay that doesn't necessarily fit you, those things look really out of place when juxtaposed with a counselor letter of recommendation that doesn't mention mm-hmm. any of those things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a good reminder that there are components of the application that are going to be directly you know, connected to who you are that you don't get to see, that you right. can guess what they say. But this is part of the story. And so all you can really do is be yourself and have that consistency be, be presented that way. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, for those schools that maybe aren't relying heavily on an essay, on on recommendations, maybe they don't require a recommendation or maybe the essay they only really read if you're on the bubble. And again, this is not a show about that, but because I think what we're really talking about here are the more selective schools. Right. Um, because I think that's, I mean, that's really what Varsity Blues was all about. It was about helping mm-hmm. kids leap into a level that perhaps they didn't necessarily, had not earned on their own merits. Mm-hmm. Um But even then, you know, even then it could be as simple as you're applying to be a classics major because you've heard that classics is, you know, undersubscribed at a particular school 
And yet you either, maybe you took Latin, but you only took it for two years. Mm -hmm. You've, and nothing else about your record would suggest a significant interest in the classics, right? So even if you're applying to places where those checks and balances are a little less prevalent, the reality is there, there's, you have a record that is either going to support your choices or not support your choices. Right. And when you start to try and game the system, that is when you lose your authenticity and that is when your application almost automatically becomes less competitive um, yeah. for the schools you're applying to. And leads you to worse outcomes. I mean, you could have imagined lying on a dating site about who you are and like your background and then you end up getting matched with the wrong people. And it's like, who do I keep going out on these dates with? They're not great matches. <laughs> well, it's because you're not being yourself, right? right? So, so like there's an element of, you know, we talk about match in the college process quite a bit. Putting yourself out there authentically is going to help you find the schools that are good fits for you too. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, any anything else around this authenticity, um, Sally? I don't know if you have thoughts about, you know, why it would be. And I think when I think about the process, I think about it from three different perspectives, right? We have the student who's actually applying, ideally the most important person in the process. Um, you have the admissions office who's going to be receiving the application. Believe it or not, not the most important part of the process because mm-hmm. It really, you control the process, you decide where you're going to apply. And then you have the parent portion, like perspective on the process. Not unimportant. Parents are generally footing the bill. Um, They, of course, have a vested interest in helping their children be successful and wanting them to be successful wherever they spend the money. But when you think about authenticity from, you know, I think we've talked about it from the student perspective a little bit and the parent perspective. But let's talk a little bit about that student perspective. Why encouraging kids to be more authentic? That's really important. And and I wonder, Sally, if you have thoughts about, you know, what you've seen about why that's so important. Well, I mean, the I mean, I think that the first part um, is sort of what I talked about at the beginning is letting the students know that who they are is enough. Um, I also think it helps them land at the right institution for them. I mean, you know, you you do hear stories about. I mean, I don't actually think that the Ivies are the hardest institutions out there in the world. Like, I don't think that Brown is harder than Swarthmore. I think that would be a ridiculous thing to say. But nonetheless, there is, it can happen. Like, I always sort of challenge parents to think about, would your student be better off at a place where they are average? Or maybe Mm -hmm. they're below average. Mm -hmm. How is that going to make them feel? So that's one of the things to think about as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, and I, you know, I really think if the process goes well, they are going to end up, if the process goes as it should, they Mm -hmm. are going to end up at the place that's right for them. Right. And the only way, like you said, Ian, the only way for you to make sure that you're going to appeal to the schools that are most appealing to you is to present who you really are. But also I think that's important in the actual process of looking at schools, right? Like, you know, I don't know if you either of you have examples of kids who are really excited to go visit a college and then, I don't know, then somebody else says, why do you want to go to that school? I don't like that school. And then they change their tune about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, all the time. Yeah. And I think that raises an important point, right? Because you mentioned three different participants in this process. You've got the admission office, the student and the parent. What is not a part of the process is the community, right, is the other people that surround that process. And I think that what's been very interesting about Varsity Blues 
is how angry people have been about this because I think they often treat admission as zero sum, as competitive, right? If that yes. kid's getting something unfairly, my kid's getting less, that students are are really angry about this. I think that there should be a change in terms of how within communities, schools, cities, towns, groups of friends, we're talking about this process, right? A student's process of applying to college should be their own. Mm -hmm. And that should allow them to also be supportive of how their friends are engaging in that process differently in a way that is authentic for them. And one of the things that I think is a problem is that we start to see people painting with broad strokes about the best colleges to go to, where mm -hmm. should students go to be successful, and that boxes students in in a way that doesn't celebrate who they are authentically. Mm -hmm. So yep. keep the chatter out of it. Keep the focus on the student, what they need, and the parents supporting those needs. And I think that that really helps to push us in the right direction towards the right outcomes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I will, I'm going to... I mean, I had a couple conversations like this yesterday. I was on site um, talking to a lot of different families at a particular location. And um, it, it happened more than once that I talked to parents who were really being very judgmental about some of the schools I was recommending. And I finally had to challenge them and say, you know, you really can't bring a perspective that's 25 years old to this. Right. I said, so you may have heard when you went to college, this particular college, these are the students who went to it. As you yourself have noted, all the schools are more selective. All the schools, there's been this trickle-down effect. That's what's going on at XYZ College that you think might not be a good place for your son, but I'm just telling you to research it. Right, right. You yeah. don't have to take our word for it. You mm -hmm. certainly shouldn't take your next-door neighbor's word for mm -hmm. it. Um, you you yeah. need to, as a student, you need to be online looking at what's there. And then at the schools that look kind of interesting, if you can visit, you know, I realize that that is not a possibility for everyone. I totally appreciate that. But, you know, one of the keys to approaching this with an open mind probably is going and seeing something for yourself when possible. And, yeah. um, you know, I'm seeing that in my own. So I have a sophomore. We've done a couple of college visits. Um, back when I was looking at colleges, these are not colleges that I was looking at, but I think they're really great. And I think they are, most importantly, going to be great for him. And mm -hmm. But maybe not, you know? So he's liked a couple, hasn't liked a couple. That's great. That's why we have visited. And by the way, they've been local visits. So that's even one way that you can start to weed things out is you look for schools that are similar to what you liked locally. But, um, you know, I think you know, being yeah open yeah, is important. The, the schools I was considering when I applied versus the schools that I thought were good schools, even when I was working in admission at Reed, were much smaller than the schools that now that I'm an expert that knows many more institutions mm -hmm. and has researched more of them because I work with so many different kinds of students, that number of schools that is excellent that I've been exposed to is so much larger now. Yes. And yeah. I think, you know, take our word for it. Like we do this professionally. We look at these colleges. They are good. There are right? really, really terrific options that are out there. It's not about a small subset of schools. There's a huge mm -hmm. number. Of right. schools that are out there. So, you know, listen to the experts. Right. We can mm -hmm. tell you there are a lot of great fits for you. Mm -hmm. Open your minds, open your hearts. Mm -hmm. uh, Sally, Ian, so great to have you here today. I think we did, last time we did this, we said we were going to do it more often. I'm excited to tape these podcasts more frequently. So, like, um, mm -hmm. thank yeah. you both for being here. We are going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to be talking about expected family contributions. Do I even have the word right? God, That's it. You got it. My brain, thank you. My brain is not 
fully functioning today, but thank you. Uh, and we'll be back in just a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email.